0: Single family versus multifamily. The age old debate which one's better? Which one's better for investment? Which one's better for cash flow? Which one should you own? In this episode, we're going to dive into that very topic. Let's go.
1: Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams.
0: Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So hope you are having yourself a wonderful day. I'm all fired up today. Maybe it's the uh, (laughs) four or five cups of coffee. Who knows? I can't even remember how many cups of coffee I had this morning. It's been one of those mornings where I've just been up and at them from very early, been just got the power list and just plowing my way through it. And by me checking off this uh, recording of the intro and the outro and getting all the files ready to send off to the team for editing. I get to have a big giant check mark. I get to have a big giant victory over a key topic and a key task, a key power item for the day to move the needle forward. Putting out this podcast, creating this uh, content to help people move forward, inspiring the community is part of my vision. Is part of my my why, if you will. One of my whys and many of you, if you've been listening and you've been a a member of the community and you've been a part of the podcast for many, many months, you know that one of my missions and and that is to help inspire 1 1 million, real estate investors with the tools and resources in order to help you buy one more property. And what does one more property mean for you? Everybody's a little bit different, but here's the thing I would encourage each and every one of you to do is think about that for a second. Think about what does one more property equal to you. And I, interesting to note in this episode where I have, uh, I was the guest on it with Adam, Adam Raz. So thank you very much, Adam, for the invitation. I walked him through kind of the exercise. And here's the thing, he was overthinking it. Guys, and that's what I encourage you to do this. Don't overthink this exercise. Honest to goodness. Like, don't, don't start putting in cap rates and you know, growth factors and inflation rates and cash flows and regression analysis and internal rates returns and net, net present values and all those, those fancy financial buzz terms that we all learned in university and stuff like that. Think about it just simply. If you bought a property today... Okay, and if you held it over a course of time and let's say it got to a point where it was free and clear, how much would that asset be worth for you if there was no growth in that asset over, say, 15 years? It would be what you paid for because the tenant paid off the mortgage for you, correct? So now with a tenant without a property, without a mortgage would have a significant amount of cash flow to it, right? There would be a lot of spendable cash flow. Like, just think about it. And here's an exercise I do and I work with a lot of my coaching clients. Sit there and pull out your spreadsheet of your portfolio of your properties. So let's say you own 10 places. Okay. And I'm just going to use just really, really simple math. So you own 10 places, and let's say your average mortgage payments a thousand bucks a month. Now some of you go, oh man, Russ, I wish my mortgage payment was only a thousand bucks a month on each of those. So let's just do it simple math. 10 places, a thousand dollars a month. So my simple math, that would be ten thousand dollars. Okay. So If your portfolio of 10 properties and your average payment is $1,000 per property per month, if those properties were free and clear, you would have an extra $10,000 a month in cash flow. So that's as simple as it gets, okay? Now, for $10,000 a month, for a lot of people are going, well, that $10,000 a month is a a good number. I could potentially leave my job. I could walk away. That would be life-changing monthly cash flow, okay? And that's usually what some people look at is what their number is is kind of that $10,000 a month, $120,000 a year and I challenge you to think a little bigger but that's a great number. Now, in this episode Adam and I go deep into a couple of things. We talk single family versus multifamily, we talk Canada, we talk the states, we talk a lot of different opportunities and I also share with him some of that those my core philosophy, my core fundamentals about, you know, the obstacles people face, but more importantly, is the one more property exercise. Now, I encourage you, but if you have not done that, if you've listened to more than one of my episodes, and if this is foreign to you, and you maybe have not uh, heard this before, I encourage you to go back to, oh, geez, I may get this wrong, but I, I think it is. I think it's either episode 35 or 34. If you go back to thirty, episode 35, it's called building your real estate freedom plan. So if you go back in the archives of my of my podcast, there's actually a five part series. And the first one of the five within that series is talking about building your real estate freedom plan. And I talk a lot more about this whole model about building out a portfolio to eventually get them free and clear, and then eventually have the cash flow from that that you could, you know, Change your life. And you could, you know, be like um, a, a couple episodes ago, Michael Dominguez, and you could travel the country in your convertible on Route 66 and tour across every North American Major League Baseball stadium. Now that is cool. And then that'd be a cool thing to do, but you need to have that portfolio that generates cash flow in order for you to do that. Okay, so that's one of the things we dive headfirst into this episode. And with all that being said, let's just get right after it. Let's please help welcome to this latest episode where I was a guest on, Mr. Adam Raz.
2: Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Russell West's cost an exceptional guest and real estate investor out of Alberta. Please help me to welcome our guest. How are you, Ross?
0: Wow, exceptional guest. I, I feel I feel honored there, Adam. That, uh, I get the moniker of exceptional, so I, I better bring my A-game today, shouldn't I?
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're really one of our exceptional guests yeah. with your portfolio, your knowledge, your network. You've been on online, you have your own podcast. Many people around Canada following you. I'd like to hear about your uh, advice on how to start a business. So, of course, you're one of the best guests so far.
0: Well, you know, I'm actually very shy about talking about what I do. I actually am very, very quickly and pump the tires of a lot of the people that I work with and my clients and my coaching clients and people in my mastermind groups and things like that. I actually get more of a, a passion and a thrill about seeing other people win than actually winning myself. And I, I maybe that's just the the humble Saskatchewan boy in me, and and not coming out. But I just I just love watching transformation stories. And to be honest, I think my story is quite boring. That's why I don't ever want to tell my story. And that's why I listen to other people's stories is because they're everybody. I'm fascinated by people's stories and their transformation of what they've done in their life. So
2: 100. But you you mentioned Saskatchewan. You moved a lot: Saskatchewan, Alberta, British Columbia. Now, so yeah. You moved a lot.
0: Yeah, well, primarily in uh, mostly just Western Canada. So I've been born and raised in small town, Saskatchewan. Like, um, hmm. If any of your listeners are following, if they do familiar, they probably know where a little bit of my story. I grew up in um, a place called Guernsey, Guernsey, Saskatchewan, town of 247 people. And if you didn't oh. have a dog, you had nobody to play with. If you, right? so, And uh, and it was right in the potash country, right in the heart of potash country within Saskatchewan. And, you know, grew up in a mobile home, like trailer park type thing. Oh. You know, we had the mobile home in the trailer park that everybody was envious of. We had the double wide trailer, right? Where mm. some people had, we had a double wide with a carport and an additional bonus room on it. So we were, we had the big mm. trailer in the trailer park. Right, so okay, so nothing special. I had really no special story, other than just a small town kid that played all sports, that played hockey all winter, played mm. baseball and golf, and went frogging in the summer, and just lived a really good lifestyle and with a wonderful, loving parents. Right, so it was just a, it was just a wonderful, simpler time, if you will,
2: when you were young. Yeah. So can we jump on the part where you started investing? What was the beginning for you oh. and what was the transformation and the phases in, in your life on the investing side?
0: Well, yeah, the real, the real. to be brutally honest, I had one of those milestone birthdays. I joke around that. I say that I started investing at the turn of the century, which the year 2000, It's a funny way mm. of saying year 2000. And I had one of those birthdays that had a, a zero at the end of it. I was turning thirty, and I had a self-proclaimed Peter Pan syndrome. You know, Peter Pan syndrome is that I just never wanted to grow up. <laughs> so, what does any young man at that time, where does a young man turn to to try to get um, guidance and counsel from? And right around that in the early two thousands, I turned to Oprah. Right, and on Oprah, mm-hmm. I saw this wonderful interview with Robert Kiyosaki. And he was talking about mm. rich dad, poor dad.
2: Yeah, of course.
0: And that was kind of the inception moment. If any of your listeners are movie fans, if you've ever watched the movie with Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio, there's it. a moment when uh, an idea gets planted so deep in your and your thought process that it just become obsessed by it. Okay, so I got yeah. obsessed by that whole thing of, you know, passive income and cash flow and all that kind of stuff, and it led me right. down a route to investigate all these things. Now, let me just preface this. I had never bought a property in my life at that time. I was renting a basement Mm. suite with a roommate. And Mm. then I found real estate through a conference and I saw a fellow by the name of Don Campbell present. And I instantly fell in love with what he was teaching and the way he taught and his genuineness and his heart and what he was sharing. And I made the leap, dove feet first, head first into the concept of real estate. And geez, that's been you know, how long, how many years is that now? 20, 24, 22, over 20 years. 22 years. Yeah, Yeah, 22 years and plus, right? Yeah. So
2: So I think we were discussing this before the episode, which is your approach on the investment strategy, single family versus multifamily. So if we can start talk about this in your perspective, what is the pros and cons of the two different strategies?
0: Well, here's the thing is, um, I don't think one is right and one is wrong. It's a matter of one might fit better for people's lifestyle and fit better for personality types. Correct. Here's what most people, and I'll, I'll just say one of the things. Most people fall in love with the romance of apartment building and multifamily. And then mm. when they actually start owning it, the romance comes off quite quickly. Okay. You know, for example, some people aren't bi- prepared business-wise to be able to handle the operation of a larger property. Some people haven't built up their business acumen to be able to transact a larger property. Mm. People sit there and go, well, it's all under one roof. And okay, well, all of a sudden a boiler goes on one of your buildings. Yeah, now you're talking $40,000 plus on that. And so people say, well, it's cheaper to have the one boiler than have single family furnaces and all this kind of stuff. Well, not necessarily every time, right? Yeah. Multifamily is not for everybody. However, I 100% think that multifamily is an amazing asset class, okay? 100%. For me, I just found my lane of single family, and actually the lane I'm in now is new construction single family, where we actually will design our properties, we'll build them with intention, we'll build them within you know the three pillars of real estate that I teach all the time as What you buy, where you buy, and who you rent to. Number one thing you do is define your tenant profile of who you rent to. Then you match the right house to that person, and then you match the right area that that person wants to live in, and you'll have a good ownership experience. Within single family, if you ever had a cash call and you needed to sell a place, you can sell it. You can peel off a single family property quite quickly, sell it off. You know, get some cash in. You know, you can have you know, there's multiple different things. Financing is completely different on single family versus multifamily. 100%. You can yeah. get higher loan to value ratios. You can get uh, better interest rates in some cases with, you know, without, yeah. if you qualify yeah. for the, in Canada, the MLI select program through CMHC. There's yeah. just multiple different ways. And here's what I tell people is when anybody ever asked me the question, single family versus multifamily, I say it's not an or, it's an and. Is there a way you can have it cool. as an ant? You should have both, to be honest. But in order to get to multifamily, you have to have earned your stripes, earned your opportunity to get to a multifamily investment opportunity. It's very rare that I hear somebody just go into multifamily on their like one of their first transactions. You know, for example, with you, Adam, you it was an I evolution process. With- yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, I started first with, with, uh, with uh, single, not single, duplexes, which is single family home uh, for, in different provinces around and then uh, apartment buildings. Uh, and now we're uh, looking on a complex. Like right now we got a deal under contract uh, 120 units in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as you mentioned, at least, at least you need five to seven years. And this is the minimum. This is, I think, uh, the minimum time you take To understand the evolution of single family, the lender side, the underwriting is not uh, for everyone, as you mentioned.
0: No, and a lot of it comes down to is somebody needs to be, in my opinion, to do multifamilies. You have to almost be in the business of real estate. It's hard to do to be a multifamily operator if you're pulling down a full-time job and you have a full-time career and all that kind of stuff. It's hard. It's hard. It's not impossible, but it's more difficult to do. Yeah. So you need to earn your stripes, you need to have the acumen. And I think you also need to have the time as well to be able to get into it too.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. So you mentioned something unique as uh, your criteria. You're focusing on, I think it's called uh, micro strategies of, of development, where you're starting from scratch, you're like buying a lot, the properties and turn it down and then buy a bigger place. Or what is your kind niche on this?
0: Well, there's multiple different ways of doing that. Like to be just complete transparency, I have a business partner and a relationship with one person in my target market Mm. that has access to all the developers. not He has access to many developers, many home builders, Mm. and he has access privy to prime pieces of real estate, prime lot positions with a lot of these Mm. builders. I have that relationship with that one person. And when I have conversations with wonderful people. Had one with this morning with somebody who has some capital that wants to invest, invest mm. alongside myself. Maybe doing a joint venture or or getting part of doing part of that. I then phone up my business partner and say I have somebody who is interested in investing alongside me. Go find me the best lot to build us a brand new, depending on the budget. Let's call it. A, let's do one. Let's just take a side by side duplex with suites, a mm. fourplex. Okay. Mm. And we have, he has lot positions that he can go find, good corner lots, lots of parking, lots of those kind of things. Then he'll go and we'll price them out. We'll get the builder, and We we literally will build it from scratch.
2: Mm-hmm. So how long have you been doing this, uh, like this, uh, micro strategies?
0: Yeah, well, I pivoted my strategy. I first started buying, you know, townhomes and condos and a whole bunch of stuff like that. Mm. My first probably 100 plus properties was that way. Mm. And... I pivoted over to new construction probably, what year is it, 20? So probably about six, seven years ago now. Yeah, okay. And I'm in a process right now of I'm trying to divest of all my old properties, all my older townhomes and condos. I'm, you know, once the conditions are proper, Hmm. I will divest of all those older stuff and then reposition that into new properties. Because once you've owned something maybe new versus something that's older and deferred maintenance, it's a completely different ballgame. There's a different tenant profile. There's a different conversation you have uh, with maintenance. There's a, the the properties under warranty. You can actually build the property, design it to get rid of all the problems that you have with real estate. You can actually design out the solution with any of the properties that you buy. So, so I've made that pivot probably about seven years ago, and. You know, on average, I'll add a half a dozen to 10 properties per year and just kind of chunk out my own portfolio like that. And more importantly, what I really love to do more than buying real estate is I, I like to help others is really what I'm doing yeah. is with my podcast, my YouTube, my coaching, my group, my mastermind is I'm in the business of solving real estate investors problems. I'm in the business mm. of pouring my information and knowledge into other people. That's really the, what my main business is.
2: Of course, but I think one of the reasoning, because you mentioned six, seven years, I think this is because of the transition of Edmonton market when everything was going down in 2014 and like return on uh, investment was not making sense and the rent was going down. I think this is a, the reasoning for your new approach of development because it was making more sense to work on this side as a developer? Because I think there's a reasoning for this.
0: No, well, 100% the reasoning is, it's a better product to own that attracts a better tenant. That's 100% the reason, is I have a better ownership experience with a new property that attracts a better tenant profile. And the better the tenant profile I attract with my house, the better I sleep at night. That's 100%. 100%. Now, if you had, let's say, in the marketplace was flat or even downward, Eastern Canada at the moment. And let's pretend that there was a oversupply of rentals out in Ontario. And a tenant had their choice. And they saw an older 1960s property or a brand new 2021 property. And all things being equal, which one do you think they would probably take? The new one. They would take the new one. People like the new properties. People like not having to live when somebody else has lived in it before, right? So it's just yeah. it just attracted a better customer. And that's one of the biggest things that I've I've learned over the years. Is you know, 20 plus years in the business, I still learn lots of things. It matters more about the customer and it matters more about the tenants and it, than it matters about the pro forma, right? A lot of people sit there and they just look at price points and they look at cash flows and they look at all these kind of things. And I ask a simple question is, what kind of a tenant will be attracted to that property? Do you know what the tenant profile is? And they go, tenant profile? Ah, oh, just somebody who will be paying me $1,000. No, that's not the right answer. The right answer is, do you know your tenant? And is that tenant someone you want to do business with? Because they're a customer, right? You're in the customer service business of providing a rental house to somebody that's going to pay you a fee for that ownership. It's essentially a business in a box. And most people do not take the time to define their tenant profile. And then they try to match a bad property or the wrong property with the wrong tenant profile in the wrong area. And they just, and then they have a bad experience. And then three, five years later, they say, well, real estate sucks, right? I can't stand being a landlord.
2: I think the answer to this is you're defining your criteria to a a tenants, which is for some people. As our investors is risky during the downwards. Because like, for example, in Edmonton, if something happened and your tenant is paying $1,000 and he lost his job, he just can rely on support from the government so he can pay his rent and live. But if you're going to the next tier of the better tenants or a tenants, it's going to be risky during the downwards. But eventually, as you mentioned, if everything is going smoothly, yeah, you're going to get a better experience, better product, and better, of course, customer, which is your tenant. Yeah. So it's a, it's a given thing.
0: No, I actually, I believe that high-performing people that perform well and earn a lot of money, and this is, sorry, this might be really controversial, but I believe high-performing people that earn high incomes have more resilience and more fortitude to figure out if they did lose their job that they will probably keep keep finding another yeah. way of of generating income right um if it comes down to having to leave in their family i've dealt with different tiers of tenants and i've had a lot of tenants that just absolutely just up and left and had nothing at stake with things
2: oh, 100% 100% okay. again as i told you it's a perspective I think one of the things uh, I'm gonna focus on now is what is the actual uh, impact on of the inflation and the interest rate on your market now.
0: Well, the good news is it's actually good for business. To be honest.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, let's let's hustle.
0: It's good. No, it's good for business from a standpoint of in Alberta, we we don't have rent controls, and yeah. so houses just got more expensive to own, and. I've just now across the board. I'm raising my rents on all my properties, minimum 8% plus across the board. We don't have rent control. We have that opportunity. People in Alberta have the highest incomes in the country, so they can afford to pay more rent. And in my personal opinion, Alberta is significantly under-rented, the price, compared to other markets in the country.
2: 100%.
0: Like in Ontario... And I just have these conversations all the time. If somebody in Ontario had a, uh, let's, you know, let's call them a duplex. I call them sometimes houses with suites, in it, essentially. So let's call it a duplex, an up and a an down. Yeah. Yeah. And in Ontario, you're probably getting, in some cases, you can get up to $4,000 rent for those places. Yeah, it is. Right. right. Yeah. Quite realistically.
2: Depend on the location on GTA. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: let's call it Hamilton. Let's just call it in Hamilton, right?
2: I have one in Hamilton.
0: Yeah. You potentially could so get up to 4000 for that. Um,
2: 3600 3700
0: yeah. Okay. And the places that I have in and around Edmonton are brand new. Brand new construction, three-bed, two-bath, like higher-end finishes. Hmm. The most we'll get for something like that, an up and a down, is probably around that thirty two dollars to $3,300 mark right now. Okay. But that's why I'm saying there's an opportunity.
2: Yeah.
0: Is as the rental supply dwindles... The prices are now going up. So each one of those properties are the rents is now going up and we can raise them to eventually 100%. they will get into that thirty-six dollars to $4,000 range in my personal opinion. So okay. I buy it yeah. at a lower price today and over time I raise my rents. What does that do to cash flow?
2: Cash on cash is going to go up uh, like crazy.
0: Cash flow goes up. Yeah. Yeah, And if interest rates start going up, I pass, you know, sorry, maybe you sound like a bad term. And if there's any tenants listening, they might get upset by this. If the interest rates and my operating costs go up, I pass those costs along to my tenants and with a margin. Right.
2: Especially as there's no rent control. So you can control the the operation, basically.
0: However, it's not it's all not perfect, though. In a free market economy of supply and demand, you can actually have rents that drop. Now in Ontario, I just had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Michael Dominguez, this morning. I don't think there's ever been a rental decrease in Ontario, right? Even though you yeah. can't, you can only raise your rents like one point three percent, something ridiculous, when inflation's at eight or whatever it is. But you guys have probably have never had a rental decrease in a market yeah. that is based upon supply and demand. If you have an oversupply, of rentals an oversupply and and an under demand, you will actually probably have to lower your rent in order to attract a good tenant. And I, I, as a good, caring capitalist, I like that. I like to have a free market economy dictate the business, right? As opposed to having a, a government overreach on many things. Like, I think about this for a second, Adam. Name me one other business that you know of. Maybe there are, but probably we can't name them. That the government will tell you what you can charge for your product to charge to the product to the consumer.
2: Hmm. I don't think of anything right now, to be honest. The government dictate. Yeah, the, the government. Well,
0: essentially, so you have a rental right now for a thousand bucks. The government is dictating what you can charge them for next year. Are they not?
2: They're doing this on Ontario. They're doing, yeah. They're yeah. doing the actual rent increase, yeah, but not in, in Alberta, on Ontario, yes.
0: No. But name me another business like that. That the government can only tell you that you can only raise your raise your prices by one point three percent next year.
2: No, I don't. I don't. It's hard haven't. to come up with, right? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 So
0: that's one of the reasons why I like investing, and in, and that's one of the reasons why I'm choosing also if to go down to the south into the states is Texas has a lot of those same rules as Alberta. There's no land transfer taxes. There's no rent controls. You know mm. stuff like that. So it's it's a very similar market
2: it is it is yeah. uh, like right now I, I was just telling you tennessee the same georgia texas but the problem with texas only for me is the appreciation appreciation's too much and uh, the price range is a little bit high and the competitive it's a really competitive market so uh, but but it's one of the best market in us anyway as you mentioned yeah.
0: well it all depends on your business model as well yeah. like one of the business models i'm working with a partner and we're going down into the furnished rentals Down there, okay, and you can then charge more for rent on a furnished rental, and you can actually afford to buy a higher priced product that's going to go up in value.
2: Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent.
0: Like one of the things, a straight rental on a higher priced product does not work. But if you charge, if you're able to generate more income per the host, then all day long, I would take a higher priced product if you can get the income right
2: hundred percent. But as I mentioned right now in the U.S., a main issue, especially on the multifamily, is that the, the cap rate is really compressed. So it's almost became the same. Like on hot market like Texas, you're going to find the cap rate almost like Hamilton. So the only advantage will be the rent control. But cap rate wise and, and, and return on investment, it became really hard as a... Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm not I'm not buying apartment buildings, so cap rate's not gonna apply. We're building new yeah. construction properties. Construction. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Hey gang, we're gonna jump right back to the podcast and the exciting interview. But first, our good friends from Streetwise Mortgages are here with another real estate investing mortgage tip. Today is all about advanceable mortgages and why you should use those as a real estate investor to help you grow and scale your portfolio. Take it away, Dahlia.
3: Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages, and today I will share with you a tip on advanceable mortgages and why, as an investor, you should set those up on as many properties as you can. Let me start by explaining what an advanceable mortgage is. An advanceable mortgage is a mortgage product whereby a dynamic line of credit is attached to the mortgage, and as you pay down the principal of the mortgage, the line of credit increases by an equal amount automatically. Let's say, for example, that you set up an invincible mortgage on a property of $500,000 with a line of credit of $100,000, and that in year one of holding that mortgage, you've paid down $20,000 in principal. By the end of year 1, your line of credit would have automatically increased by that equal amount. Advanceable mortgages are primarily available with the big 6 banks and a few other financial institutions like Manulife. Some lenders, however, will not offer them for a property held in a holding company or on rental properties, and some require that you lock in a fixed-rate mortgage for the mortgage component. So, pay attention to the fine print. So what are the benefits to you as an investor? Due to the auto line of credit increase, you can re-access any equity you accumulated in the property through mortgage paydown without requalifying, and that is a key point. This is capital you can use for reserves, future down payment, or future investing. Also, with advanceable mortgages, you can hedge against interest rate increases by slicing the mortgage and the line of credit components. For example, you can have one component of your mortgage in a fixed rate and another component in a variable rate. Finally, this product allows you to roll the line of credit balance into a mortgage at any point in time. And as you pay down that mortgage, you reaccumulate the pay down on the line of credit all over again. If you need guidance with opportunities to utilize advanceable mortgages within your portfolio or Wish to develop a complementary financing roadmap to grow your portfolio, our team at Streetwise Mortgages will help you unlock your possibilities. Email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success.
2: This is coming to the next question, which is basically how you manage to have the long-distance model, especially that you live on, on British Columbia you have your business on Alberta and now also in Texas. How you manage to have a boot on the ground, deal with operations, especially with with developers?
0: It comes down to focus. Here's the thing is like, if I was to do it on a scale from zero to a hundred, I'm saying 80% in Alberta, 20% in Texas, right? So I still focus and it's just another market. The only way I would actually even entertain going to the Texas market is because I have a boots on the ground operator that's going to be Mm -hmm. doing the majority of the work. And what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be going out attracting capital to bring to our projects. That's, I'm not doing any of the, finding. I'm not doing any of the negotiate. I'm not doing any of that work. I have a, a partner that's doing all that work for me. And then I'm just going to go do what I do. And I'm just going to go do a little song and dance and have some wonderful <laughs> conversations with people. And And if somebody yeah. is interested in investing into the US, I would point them to a project that we're working on.
2: Right. percent. And if
0: it works for them, then they can get into it. And then I will own a piece of that. I will not own the majority of it. I won't even own 50% oh. of it. I'll own a, a small piece of it but what I just do is I do what I do best in my swim lane. So that's that market. When it comes to Alberta, I have an entire team. I'm I'm the operator there. I have the property okay. management. I have everybody in place. And that's why I actually encourage people to only pick one or two markets. Don't pick 27 because you will stretch yourself pretty thin and you'll be, you know, you will never be able to be a master of that market. You will never know it yeah. inside out and backwards. Like I, probably know the Edmonton marketplace as well or better than probably people that live there. And I don't live mm. there. I've never lived there, to be honest.
2: Mm. As you mentioned, you need to create your core team, which is property managers, commercial realtors. You want to find a constant pipeline of yep. deals. You have to understand the numbers. So this is basically what you're saying that stretching yourself thin because you need to understand your game here.
0: Yep. Now, I'm going to recommend a book for many of your audience and listeners. If they have not read the book, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan, Hmm. I would strongly encourage you to pick that up because it's changed the way I I look at real estate. Like it's put this way, I've always, from the beginning, outsourced a lot of the people. Once I read Who Not How, it took it to another level. It truly is. There is an opportunity that you can just do what you do best within your real estate and find others that are brilliant at what they do and just be the leader of the marching band and be the owner of the business as opposed to the doer of the business.
2: Yes, yes, yes. To be honest, this was one of my reasons of multi-family that it's gives you the ability to sub everything, but I never think about it on a single-family home because always in my mind, like single-family home is going to be a hectic job because... I have still right now all of the same family homes in my portfolio, and it's not a, a TD process to deal with the tenants right away because there's no more, especially on an on Ontario market when you don't have this margin of cash flow. It's not like Alberta, but. What you're saying is confirming that you can't do it even on a single family home because you did it successfully for years.
0: I will not buy a property in a marketplace that does not have good, competent property management hmm. and that the margins can't support to hire management. I will not buy. It. I just yeah. won't buy it, yeah. right? No matter how good I think the market is or how hot it is or how much speculation people are telling me in. If there's nobody in that marketplace to manage it, and there's no yeah. margin to hire a manager, it's a hard pass for me. And I'm sorry yeah, yeah, if that's a, a harsh, but that's just the way it is. No, no.
2: As I told you, it's a different game here in Ontario. It's, like, it's a game here is appreciation.
0: I'm going to give you a quick story on that. There's many years that I've toyed with the whole thing about, well, I'm going to do my own management. Every every year when I look at my taxes and look at my books and I see, you know. 80, 100,000, 120,000 in property management expense line, right? Every year I look at that and I go, well, why don't I just hire somebody? I'll just hire this person, hire that person. You know, my wife can probably do this over here and that. And I'm sitting there going, I go, why would Mm. I want to take that headache? Like, why would I want to? I would be divorced Mm. if I asked my wife to take on (laughs) some of that property management and let another company deal with being an expert at what they do best. They're an expert in the Residential Tenancy Act. They're an expert in the advertising. They're an expert in the mm. bookkeeping. They're an expert in in the move-in process, the move-out process. They're an expert on the systems on having that where the call comes in, where it gets logged, the platforms they do. Let the experts do what they do best, mm. right?
2: Yeah, 100%, 100%, 100%. So uh, my next part will be raising capital. How was your initial steps for raising capital and how you, how you managed to have an actual effective system to raise capital?
0: Well, <laughs> so most things in life, it uh, was born out of desperation and necessity. Right? Okay. Well, the reason why I had to learn how to raise capital is because I had not. And my options were when I first got started in real estate investing, you know, remember back in the day when I told you the story of I was renting a basement suite, I, you know, had a roommate, I got inspired to buy a property. I sat there and I looked at, I looked at my bank account and the largest number I saw was a credit card, right? So I did not have the capital. So I had to either quit or I had to figure out how to raise the money. And slowly, what it did at that time was I got absolutely obsessed with the process of learning how other people were raising the capital. I got obsessed Mm. with getting a good coach and getting into a mastermind group of people that were raising capital. Mm. I got obsessed when I heard somebody talking about, I have a deal, I'm looking for people to invest in this project. I got obsessed with reaching out to that person to find out how they pitch their deal, how they do that. And over time, over years of honing it, I started then taking action myself, and then I started developing my own process. I developed my mm. own system. And then once I got some success of doing that, I started to teach others the process. And I would hazard a guess that a lot of people out there right now that are teaching joint ventures and teaching the raising of the capital, especially in the mm. Canadian space, probably mm. learned it for myself over time. And even to this day, every single day, I'm obsessed with becoming better at the, the whole game learning new ways to raise capital for my business learning new ways to teach others learning new ways to pour back into the community to help others that are out mm. there right now and because i believe in if i give back what i've learned we're all going to grow and benefit because of it
2: I, I think the answer here as you mentioned knowledge is money once you started to get yourself have an actual action get involved in, in coaching program Always saying that I'm going to learn. Always put yourself on a room when you're a smaller fish. Even if you have $100 of million, have goals. This is the goal for everyone yep. to grow his business.
0: Yeah, it was the knowledge, but more importantly, it was the actual doing of the work and execution and implementation. Yeah. you Everybody, let's put it this way. Hundreds of people went to the exact same events that I went to. Okay? Yeah. Some did, some didn't. Okay, I wanted to be part of the some did crowd. So I just mm-hmm. took what I learned. Anytime I had a conversation with somebody who's raising capital, okay, mm-hmm. and I would sit there and I'd have some great conversation. I'd ask them, then I say, "What what is some next steps I should do? Like, and I would sit there and I write down the notes, like, what should I do? And they would say, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to find a good deal. You need to become an expert here. You need to be able to get your team in place. You need to do these five things. I say, good. So after I've done these five things, can I contact you back again? They say, absolutely. And then what I would do is I'd go do the five things that they told me to do. I was coachable. And I came back after they were done. I said, I've done those five things. What's next from here? And then from there, and those people like that, that have done this, that have been down the road before, that are are amazing mentors, people like that want to see you doing the work they want to see that whatever they told you that you need to do that you're coachable that you are actually go out and you execute against it and then you have the right to go back to them and have a conversation right makes sense yeah, like yeah. it's amazing on how many times i have conversations with people and i i quickly assess where somebody is in their journey of real estate so there's a lot of people that go out and they're they're early in their process okay they're not sure what's market, where they want to go to, they're not even sure, calculations. And I say, okay, here's what you need to do. Read two books for me. I want you to read Real Estate Investing in Canada by Don R. Campbell. And I want you to read Real Estate Joint Ventures by myself and Don. Okay? Mm. After you read those two books, you have to come back to me and tell me what actions you've took from those two books. And then I'll help Mm. you with the next step. Nine times out of 10, they don't come back.
2: Wow. Okay.
0: But I know somebody like you that you would, that you would come back, right?
2: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> but here's the thing is nine times out of 10 people don't come back, right? Oh, okay. Which is totally fine. I want to make sure that I want to work with somebody who is an action taker. And I'm only looking for, I I, I work with people that are the, the 10% or less. Actually, I am only work with people that some are the best of the best. You know, the one, two, three percenters, the people that will create amazing results. Those are the people I work with. And then what I do from there is I take somebody who is already a high performer and I help even get more out of them, right? That's the next level game for people, right? Getting a high performer that somebody who's doing amazing things already, how do you get more out of that person already?
2: hundred percent, hundred percent. So this is getting back to how you like uh, doing coaching yourself now. You've been a student now, became a coach on the last 10, 15 years. So how does this help your networking, your business? And what is uh, the motivation basically day to day to keep helping the community every day in your uh, real estate market?
0: Well, here's the thing. I actually, um, so remember that story I told you and I had that milestone birthday in year 2000 that ended with a zero.
2: Yeah.
0: Or sorry, the year 2000. So the year 2020 came around. And I had another one of those birthdays and another one of those birthdays had a zero at the end. I turned 50 and I sat there and I go, geez, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. Hmm. I looked at where I was. I go, what's the next 20 years look like for me? And I sat Hmm. down and I wrote a a big, giant mission statement at that time. Hmm. And my mission statement at that time was to help inspire and encourage one million real estate investors with the tools and resources to be able to buy one more property. Okay.
1: Okay.
0: Now, what, what does one more property mean? So do you have a minute to, to do a little a little uh, exercise with me here, Adam? Sure. Let's just pick one of your earlier deals. A deal, maybe let's do a single family. Your your big giant properties. Let's say, do you want a, a portion? Do you want 100% of one of your single family properties? Yes. Okay. Tell me what you paid for that.
2: Uh, duplex. It was uh
0: $420,000. $420, okay. Yeah ballpark gross rents
2: now or, or back then let's go now now is uh 3550.
0: 50 and 22 cents right okay so so here's what <laughs> one property means. so let's say for example you buy let's say i teach you and i inspire you and i encourage you and i give you tools and resources to help you buy one more property okay and let's say you bought one more property of $420,000 and over time you, you held it for say 15 years and that thing was free and clear, okay? Free and clear yeah. property over 15 years. And it never went up a dollar in value. How much would that asset be worth to you? you know, how much is that asset to you in say 15 years?
2: You mean there's no appreciation at all?
0: No appreciation at all.
2: You mean return on investment, what would it be?
0: In 15 years, it's free and clear. How much is that asset? It's not a trick question. How much is it worth to you? What did you pay for it? Four twenty, right?
2: Yeah, like no, I didn't pay for twenty. You paid five. Uh, the first one was five percent. Then you paid twenty percent. So depend on how many properties. No, you I have. I'm
0: just Adam, you're overthinking it. You bought a place for four twenty, and it rents for thirty five fifty. If it was free and clear in fifteen years, and it did not appreciate in value one dollar, what would it be worth to you?
2: So your income is going to be $3,500 plus dollars
0: It would be worth $420,000, yeah. right? Yeah. And $3,550 times, let's say you have a 40% operating expense ratio, so you keep 60% of it, okay? Yeah. You would have an asset that generates $2,130. $2,130 times 12 equals $25,000. So If you learn a tool and a resource to buy one more property that never appreciated a dollar in value and it was held till it's free and clear, you would have an asset worth $420,000 that would generate you $25,000 a year in
2: income. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I got what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So one more property to you in round numbers is worth a half a million dollars and 25K. So with four of those places, right? four places, you would have a $2 million nest egg and $100,000 a year in income.
2: Are you trying to create an actual um, income for him in the future so he can quit his job? Yes.
0: So so what I'm doing is my mission is to have a million people and inspire them with the tools and resources to buy them one more property.
2: Okay, and then the it.
0: first exercise I do is I get people to value what one more property equals to them. Okay. So, for example, in this exercise, one property is $420,000 in asset value and $25,000 in income.
2: And the game will be holding it as long as, as much as you can. And then it's going to be paid off and then you can live free.
0: Yeah. The eventual, well, isn't that the financial freedom goal we all have? 100%. 100%. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want to eventually live the lifestyle that Robert Kiyosaki talked about way back in the day. But there's an awful lot of people right now with a whole bunch of conversation with a young fellow yesterday. Owns eight properties. Mm. And interest rates have gone up. Mm. He's struggling a little bit. He's probably, if I was to be really honest with his numbers, and which he was to be, he's probably upside down four or $5,000 a month
2: now. Which market okay? is? In Ontario, Oh, okay, okay,
0: right. Oh. So, is that person getting closer to financial freedom or further away?
2: Depend, depend on in his situation if he's gonna sell one of the properties to bring cash flow. Okay,
0: I, I, we're not talking strategy yet. Based upon what I just told you, is he getting closer or further? At the end, if he wants a goal of twenty thousand dollars in monthly ca- income and he's upside down five, is he cash getting flow closer to- or further? Cash is no, no. further away. Yeah, cash so flow, he's no. having to go and work harder. Yeah, to actually feed his asset, which was supposed to be a financial freedom vehicle.
2: Hundred percent. But again, you're comparing between the appreciated market to cash flow market.
0: Okay. What if you What if you have no appreciation, Adam?
2: Uh, that's why the appreciated market is not for investors. It's for newbies. That's why we said the berries is the best uh, province to invest. That's why Alberta. Saskatchewan is the best to invest on on multifamily or single-family home. Uh, Rent control is not uh, something you want to be in. That's why Ontario is not one of the best places to invest. So what we're
0: really talking about, Adam, is there's a difference between investing and speculating.
2: Yeah, 100%. Right?
0: And I believe in investing versus speculating. Right. But here's the thing is you were th- you were just overthinking it a little bit there, as I was just trying to share with you. If a fellow is upside down in cash flow and he yeah. has a goal of getting a certain cash flow number, he's actually having to work harder yeah. and he's going backwards. Yeah. Now, the solution is completely different. You were already talking about the solution, which is the solution I told him. I go, let's get rid of the dogs. Let's get rid of the worst performers. Sell yeah. a few off. Yeah. Pay a few off. Divest into another marketplace. You, yeah. you're, See, you're a good coach. You're already going the next step forward. You're doing solutions, right?
2: This is, a, this is a way to, to yep. find a way to uh, mitigate the risks. That's why we mentioned me, me and you as a, like, I didn't find that as a competitive market here in Canada, in some markets it's making sense. So that's why the diverse uh, business between us and Canada was, was a solution for me. But uh, yeah, I understand where you are coming from that it doesn't make sense for him to pay $5,000 every month to feed his property. And then saying yep. that he's doing a business He's not.
0: No, I 100% agree. We said the exact same thing in two different ways.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, my next question would be, how you describe your strengths or superpower? I like to ask this to every guest. How you define your superpower on the last 22 years on on the business?
0: Well, here's my superpower is I don't have one. If you held a gun to my head, said, Russell, you must come up with an answer. Here's my answer. I won't quit and I keep showing up. Here's my superhero, Mr. Show-Up Man. I keep showing up. That's good. (laughs) No no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter how many times you get kicked in the you-know-whats, no matter how many times, you just keep showing up. And if you keep showing up with a passion, you keep showing up with an energy, if you keep showing up to serve others and be a a faithful servant to other people, if you keep showing up with the right intention in life, Mm. you know I think this world would have fewer problems if more people showed up and served and helped other people.
2: Persistent, always. I like this, to be honest. Uh, this is basically one of the major merits on, on our business is to, yep. to be a doer and take actions and always show up, as you mentioned.
0: Yeah. And you're a real estate investor. Your Your portfolio is extremely enviable for most people. This is difficult. Adam, it, it would you, would you not agree? This is, you know, most people will sit there and they'll just tell you the wonderful success stories. and They'll tell you about all the sunshine and rainbows and butterfly farts about how things only go up in value. They won't tell you the challenges. They won't tell you the lost sleep. They won't tell you the giant major cash calls. They won't tell you all the times that they felt like packing it in and quitting on things. That- yeah. A person that can take all those things, and when you don't feel like doing it, you still do it anyways. That is the yeah. superpower.
2: Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100% agree. My last question would be how the people can follow your success and uh, how to get in touch with you.
0: Follow my success Well, I <laughs> well, have a big success. Thank you. Everyone thank, knows you. Us. thank you for pre positioning and putting it out into the future that there's always going to be a success. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm am I'm an open book. If anybody ever wanted to reach out and connect with me, the easiest way would be just jump onto my website. If you Google my name, Russell Westcott, my website's russellwestcott.com. My podcast is a Russell Westcott Podcast, my YouTube channel, everything around my name, it's all branded around that. And if there's something that somebody, if I said that resonated with your audience and they'd love to have a say a consultation or they maybe just need a little help of looking at it from another lens, somebody who's been around the business for 20 plus years. There's an awful lot of people out there that are what I would call five years, five, seven years or less out in the industry. Mm -hmm. Lots of people that they've only seen one market condition in the last seven years. And that's straight up astronomical growth. Correct. Yeah. If you're interested in having a conversation of somebody who's seen every market condition, every market cycle across the country. I can definitely provide you some insight and some wisdom. It's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. I believe I have the wisdom to help the elder people, to inspire people with the knowledge, to take the action.
2: 100% agree. The market has been going up and down, not like what we're seeing now on the 2000s and 90s, especially on the, on the West. And yeah, 100%. Yep. Uh, I agree with what you're saying. I think uh, we had fun today.
0: Yeah. Adam, do you mind if I offer you something here for a second? 100%. Yeah. I just, I usually start off every one of my interviews with some gratitude and I did not do that today. Okay. I wanted to thank you for a couple of things. I wanted to thank you for the opportunity to share. I wanted to thank you for the time and effort you put together these wonderful resources to share with the community of real estate investors. It's valuable and it's needed. And I actually wanted to thank you for taking some wonderful action that you've done yourself And uh, making a difference in other people's lives. I just wanted to just offer that to you.
2: You're the master on this and we're we're trying to do the same. Educate the community and... We're
0: kindred spirits, my friend. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Thanks a lot. And again, I hope that we can bring you again to the show to come up with your ideas and your success again. And really appreciate your time.
0: Right on. Honored to serve, my friend. Honored to serve. Thanks a lot. So, gang... So what did you think? Did you enjoy this podcast episode? Did you enjoy this look into the exercise of the one more property? And I I probably, you know, I have to take full ownership, I probably explained it really poorly to Adam. But and he was overthinking it. And that's what I encourage you is don't overthink it. You don't need to overthink this that much guys, just by all means, just dive into it, just lean in. And it's a simple exercise. It honest to goodness, what did you pay for your property? And what would the cash flow of that property be if it was free and clear? Now, let's not get bogged down on how it's going to get free and clear in the timeline. But if it was free and clear right now, how much cash flow would that property generate? A lot of people think you need hundreds of properties in order to get that number. You truly need a handful of really good quality properties. And in that episode 34, building your financial freedom plan, I talk about it, you know, building with uh, three free and clear properties with suites. So essentially six rental units, you can have close to $100,000 a year in revenue come from that $100,000 a year income stream. Okay, so I encourage you to go back to that episode, listen to those five parts. I could be wrong and I probably should go back and research this, but it's 100%. It's right around episode 35, but I know what the title is, Building Out Your Real Estate Investing freedom plan. So by all means, check that out. And then the last thing I want to leave with each and every one of you here is if you're wanting to help to build out your freedom plan, one of the biggest obstacles you will face and encounter is the capital. And where do you get the capital to be able to build that portfolio, even to get to three free and clear properties, you will probably have to transact nine places. In order to get to nine places, let's just say it's an average of $100,000 down payment, you'll need access to a million dollars. Okay, now, for some of you, you're sitting there going, well, Russ, I don't have a million dollars in my bank account. Just when I look at it is, you know, I I see a visa statement. (laughs) And that's what I saw when I got started back in the millennial 2000, just before the year 2000. That's what I saw. The largest number I saw in my bank accounts at that time was a visa statement. And I had no assets to my name. And it's 100 percent. You can learn the process. And that's what I did at that time As I learned the process and I learned the process of raising capital from other people. And then I poured everything I learned into a program, poured it into a book, poured it into an online training. I poured it into my coaching clients. I've poured everything that I've known into that whole topic. And I've trained thousands across this country. And I, ha- I would hazard a guess the majority of the people that you're probably seeing out there talking about raising capital and joint ventures and all this kind of stuff, probably in one way, shape or another, probably learned something from me over the years. So you're you're talking to the OG here. You're talking to the source, the source of the results, the source of the inspiration, the source of the encouragement to help many people's careers to be launched. Okay. now I'm not here to toot my own horn and I'm not here to impress you. Uh, What I'm here to do is I'm here to impress upon you that it can be done everybody can learn this strategy, everybody can learn this topic. And if you are interested in learning one of the best of the best programs out there, I encourage you to check out the Raising Capital Academy. And that's where I've put in my 20 plus years. And I continually add more materials. I continually add more resources to it. I continually add more webinars, I continually add more programs. As a matter of fact, the other day, I what I did was I redid My brand new pitch deck presentation. I also did a presentation on how to deliver the presentation. I delivered a presentation on how to build a pitch deck. And I actually gave the PowerPoint file to everybody who's part of the Raising Capital Academy. You don't know how many hours that would save you if you actually had a 32 page PowerPoint presentation deck already completed and that you can start with that. You wouldn't know how much time and money that I would spend to have somebody create that for me. Okay. And that's just one of probably 114 benefits. (laughs) And I just say that is because I think I added up the hours of training in there. I think there's over 115 hours of training in there, plus all the documents, plus all the resources, plus the community of all the people you need in order to help you move forward within this game of real estate. Okay, gang, by all means, wherever you're listening to this, there will be in the link in the notes below, there will be a link to check out the Raising Capital Academy as of recording of this, it's by application only, but maybe when you do check it out, maybe there will be a, a link there that you can check out and get involved in there. But 100%, I have conversations on a weekly basis of people that submit applications. And I would love to have your application approved. And I would love to tell your success story on this podcast going forward. Because that's some of the people I feature on there. Is people from my community, people from my coaching program, people that have delivered outstanding, extraordinary results Oh, in this process of real estate. And I would be honored to share your story. Okay, gang, with that being said, please remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody.